today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. Proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is not something that should be a chore for us. This should be a jumping up and down, I can't believe it kind of contagious joy that we cannot help but sharing with others. We once were in darkness, now we're in the light. Can you believe it? Peter's saying, you're not gonna be able to help but proclaiming that to other people, to God, and others will listen in. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. If preaching the gospel has become a chore for you, or if you're left feeling guilty that you're not proclaiming the gospel enough, there is a fundamental problem. Pastor Ricky will be explaining that the problem is simply that you're not spending time communing and falling in love with Jesus. When you experience the love of God and you're being filled with His Holy Spirit, you have the joy of the Lord and can't help but proclaim His goodness to those around you. Well, let's join Pastor Ricky for part two of his message entitled, Proclaim. Why would God do this? Why would He take us from what we deserve to what we do not deserve? Why would He take people that are cut off and alienated and bring them in because he loves us. Nothing can explain the love of God for sinners. Christian, hear this today. If, if you are in Christ, if you have believed in Christ and trusted him for the salvation of your sins, everything that I have just said is true about you. Regardless of how you feel this week went, regardless of whether you acted perfectly toward your spouse, regardless of whether you trusted God perfectly in the midst of hardship, regardless of whether you shared Christ faithfully with your neighbor, and regardless of all of that, something is objective and true about you in the sight of God, and it is all of this, that you are chosen, that you are precious, that you are royal, that you are holy, that he loves you because he loves you. That is who you are in Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, this passage is both a warning and an invitation. The warning is this, that you cannot receive this identity by doing stuff. You can't just get back to church a little more and be a Christian. You can't just read your Bible a bit more or try to cut out some of the major sins in your life and, and sort of be a Christian. No, no, you, you, what's required that all that Jonathan explained happened to you, that you say, look, I'm gonna die to myself in my old life and I wanna be raised to new life in Jesus. I wanna stop li living my own life apart from Jesus. I wanna trust him for salvation. I wanna follow him. I wanna pursue him. I want him to run my life. And if you do that, though, the glorious truth is that there is an invitation. If you will lay down your efforts to build an identity outside of God, if you renounce them and say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I want to turn from my sins and follow you. If you do that, you will be a new thing. All of this in Christ can be yours. You don't have to do anything. Now, it will cost you everything. It will cost you giving up uh, the, the fact that you want to run your life. But if you do that, you will gain everything. That's who we are in Christ. But it leads to what you do. Who you are leads to what you do. And here's what we do so that, it says, 
All of this is true of you so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has done something in us so that we would do something. God has not just saved us from something. He has saved us for something. The two are impossible to separate. Often we treat mission or our mission in the world around us as an optional add-on component of the Christian life. Now, I remember uh, the one time I was was buying a car, or maybe the the few times I was with my parents where they were buying a car. Um, Here's what happens when you go into the car dealership. You want the car, essentially, right? You want the car, but what does the salesman do? He will try to sell you on additional things that you did not plan on getting, but suddenly seem like a great idea, right? I mean, after, after a bit of time, you begin to be convinced, you know, those three days a year that I could use it, that seat warmer would come in really handy in El Paso. I mean, I hit those three days are the worst days of the year. I walk out, it's cold, my bottom is cold, and then the thing that I want most in the world is to sit on a seat that's already warm. I mean, that seems, that seems reasonable to spend another $1,000 on that, right? It, or they want to sell you the fog lights for the three days of the year that we have fog in El Paso, right? I mean... Seems like a great idea, though. It was just foggy. If you go in right now, you're going to buy the fog lights, I guarantee you. They'll have you convinced this is like the land of Mordor, and if you don't have fog lights, you're going to die. You'll look at the interior of the car and think, this is nice. I, I like this interior. This is good. But then they'll tell you, oh, but you know what? I, I, I don't want to waste your time with this car. Somebody like you, I can see the way you're dressed. I think you're the kind of person, it's a rare customer, but the kind of customer that would appreciate the premium wood accents. Have you seen those? Wood accents. I mean, it just adds to the touch of luxury. And don't you want driving your car to be a luxurious experience? And so all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, you know what? I do want the seed warmers and the fog lights and the, and the, and the, the wood accents. I'm not sure what that is, but that sounds like very luxurious. And, and here's, here's, here's one of the problems. Some people... Picture Christianity as essentially, okay, what I need is just the relationship with Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, all the other stuff, Bible reading, blah, 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 blah. But what I need is me and Jesus. And then when, when people are like, hey, you should do mercy ministry or pray more or go read your Bible more, you're, gonna go, you're, you're kind of thinking, well, look, that seems, look, I'm just going to focus on the, the main relationship here. It's me and Jesus. I'm just going to trust the Lord, try to, you know, whatever that means for me. And you stop trying to add things into my Christianity. I don't need those things. But Peter's picture here is radically different. Peter says that mission is not related to Christianity as optional extras are related to a car. Peter says that mission is related to Christianity as a car relates to driving. If you have a car, you have the car to do what? To drive the car. It doesn't do you any good to buy a car, put it in your driveway, and go, this is nice. And you know, when you need a break, kind of get in the car, play some music. Ah, this is nice. And then get out of the car. Your neighbor's going to go, are you going to ever drive that thing? I mean, (laughs) Christianity is related to mission the way that your car is related to driving. If you bought a car, you're going to drive it. If you were bought 
brought from darkness to light, you're going to shine the light. It's what you do. You can't separate the mission from your faith in Christ. They're inextricably tied. If you are in Christ, you are created new to do something. And notice there's an activity and a call here. The activity is proclamation. Now, in light of 1 Peter 2, the picture is clear that Christ is building a temple for himself and that we as the temple proclaim proclaim him as an act of worship. When we sing on Sunday or when we rejoice in community group or when we praise God to one another, we are fulfilling our mission in a sense. Our mission is to praise God. Our very existence is a testimony to God's work and activity and proclaiming what God has done back to him. But there is a second aspect of this. Remember that Peter is very concerned with how we relate to the world around us. And so he has the world around us in view in this picture. Our worship, he says, is missional. Ed Clowney says this, our praising of the name of God has another result. We declare before the nations the works and the name of the Lord. Our praises to God bear witness to the world. He is also thinking of the Gentile world in the midst of which they are called to praise. And listen to this. Our hallelujahs do indeed join the anthems of the heavenly host, but here on earth, they are heard by our neighbors. In other words, we exist to proclaim what God has done so that our neighbors would listen in to this glorious proclamation. And so what is it that we proclaim? The content of it is Jesus and his saving work. He says it simply this way, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is not something that should be a chore for us. This should be a jumping up and down, I can't believe it kind of contagious joy that we cannot help but sharing with others. We once were in darkness, now we're in the light. Can you believe it? Peter's saying, you're not gonna be able to help but proclaiming that to other people, to God, and others will listen in. Now, you may be asking, and I think we should ask the question, okay, well, what does that look like for us here today in El Paso? Um, often when we think, okay, what does it look like to proclaim his excellencies here in El Paso? Often the picture that comes to mind is, you know, something like, a bunch of people in a field hearing a rock band play and then somebody you know, who's got a big name gets up and gives a message and then people are streaming forward. Or, or we think of a church service that's so big and ha has so many things going on it. The, the news is covering it. Oh my gosh, look at this place. This is amazing. We think of, of plays or dramas or movies or music artists or powerful preachers that fill stadiums. We, we think, okay, that's, that must be what it looks like to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. A big room with lots of people. Now, often um, theologians refer to that as what's called attractional ministry, where, where the church does things and then invites the community to come. Now, the problem, though, with that picture is that there's always going to be a group of people that will not come to anything in the church. And there are going to be people that have no interest in stepping foot inside a church. No matter how good the music is, no matter how awesome the band is, and how engaging the preacher is and cool, and he probably has like a faux hawk or like a tattoo right here with a Hebrew thing, or I don't know, something cool. There are people that are just are like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to watch football, okay? I'm going to stay up till 3 a.m., get wasted, and I'm not going to church, okay? 
How do we reach those people? What does it look like to proclaim his excellencies to people like that? Well, there's a, another difficulty in that the type of ministry where you, if you're only doing attractional ministry where you're trying to get people to come into something, that ministry is losing its effectiveness rapidly in our cultural climate. There used to be a cultural pressure to sort of act like a Christian, to, to kind of go to an occasional church thing. But now there is no cultural pressure to act sort of Christian. And in fact, there is social pressure not to be identified with Christians. If you think of our culture this way, okay? You're gonna have to stick with me here through this. Otherwise, it's gonna get weird. Picture our culture like a town, okay? Picture our area like a, a big town where in the center of the town, there is a big cultural loudspeaker. And that loudspeaker is proclaiming the culture of the majority, Whoever the most people are, they get the loudspeaker. They get to talk all they want over the loudspeaker to the rest of people in the towns. And in previous generations in America, we had the loudspeaker. We had, in essence, a, a big stream of the culture. We could say what we wanted. We were the moral majority. We had it for a while, and then it slid. It slid into not really Christian, but not really not Christian. And now it's sliding quickly into definitely not Christian, possibly anti-Christian. So what do we do? <laughs> well, Peter is writing to Christians who are not the moral majority in their culture. They are the minority culture. The Christians in Peter's day cannot throw a really cool church service and expect people to show up. They are pagans. They have no interest in going to a Christian church service. Peter doesn't talk about events at all. In fact, the New Testament never talks about events other than the kind of weekly gathering of the church. Instead, he talks about life. Peter talks about boring, mundane, everyday life for the rest of this letter. He talks about, for example, when you suffer cultural pressure, you're supposed to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. That happens not in a big stadium, but one-to-one -one at your office, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, as your small group is serving an older widow. If the culture controls the big radio tower, the big loudspeaker in the center of town, and we've lost it, we have two responses. We can either sit in our homes and bemoan the loss of the cultural loudspeaker, or we can walk out our front door and knock on our neighbor's door. And if they will not come to a seminar on Christian marriage, we get our Christian marriage in front of them. We invite them over. We enter their lives. We bring them into our lives. This is what Peter's talking about. Doing proclamation in the everyday stuff of life. This is what pastors and theologians often call a missional mindset. You don't wait for people to come to you. You go to them. And we are called to this ministry. You don't have to be a super Christian to do this. You just have to be a faithful Christian. You simply live your Christian life close enough to unbelievers that they can hear your proclamation. In Peter's day, it would be almost impossible to escape living life close with unbelievers. But today it's easier. Today people can kind of get stuck in Christian subculture or in various other subcultures and never really interact with the other cultures in the city. And Peter is calling us to get out there and make sure we're close enough to a neighbor so that when we praise God, they hear it. At, at the dinner table, when we're thanking God, that he brought one of our kids through an illness, they hear it. When we're thanking God for uh, sustaining our marriage through a difficult time, they hear it. When we're thanking God that layoffs are coming and we're not anxious the way everyone else is, 
That's proclaiming. Now, I want to make a comment about, our, uh, about the fact that we don't throw out all attractional ministry. Um, Paul and Peter are concerned that our services, when we gather, that they are attractive to unbelievers, or at least that they are understandable to non-believers. But you don't need a big production to do this. You, you just need the people of God being who they are, opening up the Bible and explaining what they're doing to people who don't know Jesus. That's all that, that's, that you're talking about. It means that you don't need thousands of dollars in a stadium to do this. In fact, it may be better off if you throw a block party with your community group and 100 bucks. So our strategy at Cross of Grace is simple. We want to equip our people to proclaim Jesus in their everyday lives. We want to equip our community groups to proclaim Jesus in their neighborhoods or to specific communities. And if you've ever wondered, this is why we only occasionally do big events at the church. And when we do them, I think of them largely like training wheels to help you get the hang of it so you can do it. We did that outreach down at the park a few weeks ago, which I love. We want to do more of those. I think that's going to be effective. One of the purposes of that is you going, you know what? This doesn't take that much. Like, I could probably do this down at the park by my house with my community group or with another family from church. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. This building cannot, our proclamation isn't audible over there. But you know what? Your proclamation will be. This is why intentionally we're this year, we may not do this every year, but this year we're not doing a whole church Halloween or Christmas outreach. We want to create space for you to find something in the community, and preferably not just at another church. That's not going to be super helpful if you're trying to get in and get to the unbelieving community. I mean, sure, go and be blessed by another church's special Christmas thing, but get into a thing with lots of pagans, that's ideal. Find something in the community, be part of it, befriend people, bring them into your life. Do this as a family, do this as a community group. That's what Peter is talking about. And friends, lest we forget, the El Paso region is a place that needs this proclamation. There are approximately 670,000 people living in El Paso. We are the 19th most populous city in America. And at first glance, it seems like things are good. 86% of our population, according to a recent survey, identify as Christian to some degree. 86%. Well, that's great. We only have 14% to reach, right? Well, except that of that group, 79% of them are classified as what the researchers kindly call casual Christians, meaning that they have not read the Bible, prayed, or attended church in the last week, accepted Christ as their Savior, and or did not even hold the most basic of orthodox views about God. That's not good. <laughs> 60% of the population agree. This population, the people around here agree that if you are just a good person and do your best, then you'll earn a place in heaven. 60% believe that. If you look for what are called evangelical Christians, so meaning somebody who believes that their faith is very important, that they should evangelize, that salvation is only by grace, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that the Bible is accurate, that God is an all-knowing, all-powerful God who created and rules the universe, which for most of us would be like kind of the basics, right? Like, if this is right, 5% of El Pasoans believe that. And on top of that, it gets worse when you look at young people. Of millennials age 18 to 30, only four of them even self-identify as practicing Christians. Meaning that for every one of me in here, there are 19 29-year-olds out there that do not know Jesus. 
And El Paso is uniquely poised to influence regions beyond us. Just beyond El Paso, there, is, there are 200,000 people in the, in the Las Cruces metro area. There are 1.3 million people in the city of Juarez with a metropolitan area in Juarez of over 2 million people. This is, this is the largest binational, bilingual population in the entire Western Hemisphere. There are people coming here to immigrate to other parts of the U.S. There are people coming here that then go back to Mexico. There are communities within the community, like the thousands of soldiers at Fort Bliss, like the 22,000 students at UTEP, like the growing medical schools at Texas Tech. Here is the point. We live in an area that desperately needs our proclamation of the gospel. It is not optional. People here think that they are Christians, but they do not know the gospel. And the tragedy is this, that it is only the gospel that saves. Cultural Christianity saves no one, but true Christianity can save anyone. That is why we are here. Cross of Grace Church does not exist by accident. You do not sit here in this auditorium today by accident. You do not find yourself in El Paso by accident. You are here because you've been bought with the price to do something, to proclaim him. Instead of shrinking back, we are called to rise up and proclaim. I read this quote from a World War II officer that I thought would apply here. He said in a desperate situation, men, the enemy is in front of us and behind us. They are to the left of us and to the right of us. They can't get away now. And we as Christians can go, oh my gosh, well, there, there are people who don't know Jesus in front of us and they're kind of messy and scary. And then, oh, my neighbors behind us are kind of messy and scary. And then my coworkers and then the people that I interact with at daycare, they're all, everyone is scary. Jesus says, exactly, exactly. We exist to make disciples. We have had our lives changed by Jesus, and now we follow him. And we make disciples by telling people about Jesus in the hope that their life would be changed and that they would follow him. We do this with the gospel of grace. We put that there intentionally. There's a lot of religion without the gospel of grace in our city. So the content of our proclamation must always be grace alone, faith alone, in Jesus alone. And we do this for the glory of God, for the ultimate praise of all he has done. And here's the difficulty, friends, with our mission. If we're to do what Peter is talking about, we cannot, I feel this as a pastor, we cannot program this. We can't. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to come up with a program that is your life reaching people. <laughs> I don't. I can't. So our mission is risky. The strategy we've decided to employ is risky. It requires you, it requires me, it requires us to own this and do this. If we do not, it won't work. But here's the good thing. Everybody can play a part in this mission. In a big stadium with thousands of people, with one guy preaching the Bible and a really cool band, how many people are involved? Like 20? But this is a mission that you can own. This is a mission that you can do. This is a mission that Christ has called you to. And Christ has called our church to. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. Something that many people have little of, and yet we clamor for the latest this or that, believing that our longing for hope will be fulfilled. 
Pastor Ricky will be teaching through the book of 1 Peter here on Better News Radio. We'll learn that hope is something that is beyond this world and that our lives will become holy once we hope in the eternal. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. That's betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Better News Radio Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio. Better News Radio.